Good morning, good morning. I'm happy to be here. My name is Brandon Westgate. I happen to be the youth director of the Rocky Mountain Conference, and, um, and I also have the pleasure of working with these young adults that you see in these yellow shirts today. It's been an amazing week up at Glacier View Ranch. It's been our staff week. We're just getting to know each other, um, learning how to do camp, learning what that looks like, and really just kind of thinking about um, the onslaught, if you will, that's going to happen on Sunday morning when a bunch of campers show up and uh, experience what life can be like at 8,700 feet. So we're looking forward to that. Um, maybe many of you are sending your children, your grandchildren maybe, to Glacier View Ranch this summer. I want you to know they're going to be in really good hands. This staff has been amazing. Um, we chose well because God chose them. And so we're excited for that. If you're a father today, happy Father's Day to you. I happen to be a father twice. Um, I can tell you there's a difference between being a father and being a dad. It's easy to be a father. Being a dad is next level. Amen? And so for you dads in the house, shout out to you. Yeah. Dads show up, right? And um, if you didn't have a dad that showed up, I'm just super thankful today, especially that we have a heavenly father that is present with us always, who is much more powerful than our earthly parents, and who showers us with good things each and every day. And so praise the Lord. I want to share a message with you today. If you have a Bible with you, if you don't, there's one in the probably in the pew rack in front of you. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 8. We're going to spend a few minutes there, but I have learned, and maybe you've learned as well, that for everything, every Bible text, there's a context. And there is a context to Matthew chapter 8, and it is those three chapters before Matthew chapter 8. In Matthew's gospel, he has Jesus up on the mountain in, verse, in chapters 5, 6, and 7. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. If you've never read those chapters before, I encourage you to do that. Jesus teaches some radical teachings that were new to those people in the first century. There were things that he taught that their religious leaders weren't teaching about the character of God, about the nature of God, about who God really is. And Jesus challenges them time and time again in that Sermon on the Mount. And so when we get to Matthew chapter 8, Jesus has just come down from the mountain, from that teaching moment. Now, I want to share something with you. If you have your Bible open there, maybe you've got it on your cell phone or whatever, there's a phrase that pops up in the Sermon on the Mount. And I want to mention this because for me, it's become super important in my life. Maybe it will be super important in your life as well. I've got a New King James this morning. Other translations phrase it a little bit differently, but you'll notice in the same verse that there's a similar phrase that gets repeated, and, um, and the verse is, is, is Jesus speaking to these people. Now, you need to remember that when Jesus is speaking, access to a Bible um, was extremely limited. The only places that really had Bibles were synagogues, and, um, and so those first century Jewish Christians, as they're becoming Christians, they don't have access to the Scriptures. The scribes and the Pharisees did, but the common people didn't. And so when Jesus is teaching from the mountain, you'll see it maybe like in Matthew chapter 5. We'll just pick out a few of them. Verse 21, Jesus says, you've heard that it was said. In verse 27, it's repeated, you've heard that it was said. Verse 31, furthermore, it has been said. Verse 33, again, you've heard that it was said. 
You can keep going throughout this whole Sermon on the Mount. You'll notice it several times, even in verse 38, verse 43. You've heard that it was said. And the reason Jesus is telling them you've heard that it was said is because they never read what was written. So the teachings, the religious traditions and practices and customs that they were used to and familiar with were told to them. They were told what to believe. They didn't read it for themselves. They didn't have access to scriptures. And so Jesus is saying, you've heard this. And how does Jesus follow that up? But I say, right? And he speaks as one who has authority because he is God incarnate. And so Jesus says, you've heard this, but I'm telling you this. You've heard this, but I'm telling you this. Now, it's interesting in interactions with the scribes and the Pharisees because instead of saying you've heard that it's been said, Jesus tells them, have you not read? Because they have access to scriptures. So let me ask you a question this morning before we kick things off. Who has the greater responsibility in terms of accountability to God? Those who have heard what was said vicariously through someone else who read it or those who read it firsthand? Those who read it firsthand, right? So where does that leave us today? Are we more accountable or less accountable? More accountable, right? Because we have access. We can read for ourselves. And so maybe Jesus might say to us, have you not read? Have you not read? And so this morning we're going to read a little. Amen? So when we get to Matthew chapter 8, if you're there with me, I'm in the first verse of Matthew chapter 8. It was read very eloquently. I appreciate that this morning. I'll read it in this translation. It may read a little different in yours. Nothing bad will happen. Promise. Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. Mine says this, when he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. Now, that's important in the narrative because of what happens next. So Jesus has been teaching up on the mountain. There are great multitudes. Yours may say a very large crowd. It depends on your translation. But there's a whole bunch of people flocking around Jesus, more than is in this room today. And they are thronging about him. You get the idea? Jesus is coming down, and people are just wanting to get close to him. I want to get close to Jesus. Anybody else want to get close to Jesus? It's okay to raise your hand in church. I promise nothing bad will happen. It's okay. They are thronging around Jesus. And the next word that, that Matthew records is this word, in my translation it says, behold. Now, it's an interesting little Greek word, idu, and it really means, well, if we used our modern vernacular, it would say, y'all check this out. <laughs> it would be something like Matthew saying, you ain't going to believe this. Like, look at this. Look what happened Next, you're not going to believe what happened next, but look what happens next. Because Matthew says, behold, a leper came and worshipped him. Now, that may not mean much to you at this point. You may think, okay, so a leper shows up. But unless you really understand leprosy and, and the implications of that and the traditions, customs, health practices that they had back then, then you really want to understand why mo why why Matthew is making such a big deal here. What, what's the big deal? So a leper shows up. Okay, he was sick, he went to Jesus. That's what I do when I'm sick, I go to Jesus. So we need to talk about this. We need to talk about leprosy for a few minutes, okay? Um, now leprosy isn't an equivalent with today's, uh, there's a modern disease they call Hansen's disease. Maybe there's some medical professionals in here and you understand that. Um, I'm from Arkansas, part of the Arkansas-Louisiana Conference. Down in Louisiana, just, till a, just a few short years ago, there was a leprosy clinic open down there. 
because people that come in close proximity to armadillos can get leprosy from armadillos. I don't know if you know that or not. Um, down in the Cajun South, down in Louisiana, armadillo is chicken on the half shell. That's what that is. It's part of their diet. And, um, and if you get that close to an armadillo, there's a good chance that you could acquire leprosy. There was a leprosy clinic there to treat those folks, okay? And, um, but, but leprosy in Scripture is different. I don't know if you um, have read any of these chapters before, but we're going to read a few verses in Leviticus chapter 13. Leviticus 13, it's in the Old Testament, one of the books of the Pentateuch. And um, it's got some interesting things that we're going to read together for you fathers. Today I'm going to start at a particular verse for you fathers out there so, so you'll understand and appreciate some of these things. I'm just going to read a few verses here. I'm going to be in Leviticus chapter 13, and maybe we'll pick it up... Um, Let's pick it up in verse 40. Going to read a little bit, educate ourselves about what leprosy really is. Verse 40, Leviticus chapter 13. As for the man whose hair has fallen from his head, he is bald, but he is clean. I thought I'd hear some amens. That's my dad, by the way. Bald, but clean. My dad's 85. Wow, praise the Lord. Yeah, I'm fortunate to still have my dad. If you're fortunate to still have your dad... Make sure you hug him today or at least give him a shout out, okay? He who's, next verse, he whose hair has fallen from his forehead, he's bald on his forehead, but he's clean. Hallelujah. <laughs> That's a good thing. If there is, keep reading, if there is on the bald head or the bald forehead a reddish white sore, it is leprosy breaking out on his bald head or on his bald forehead. The priest shall examine it, and if indeed the swelling of the sore is reddish white, on his bald head or on his bald forehead as the appearance of leprosy on the body, he is a leprous man and he is unclean. Unclean. The priest shall surely pronounce him unclean, right? Unclean because of the sore on his head. Now, the leper, this verse 45, on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn, his head shall be bare. That means no, no head covering. He shall uncover, he shall cover up his mustache, that's the lower part of his face. That means he had to wear a mask like some of you are wearing today. Had to wear a mask. And he has to cry, unclean, unclean. He shall be unclean all the days he has the sore. He shall be unclean. He is unclean. And he shall dwell alone. And his dwelling will be outside the camp. We call that extreme social distancing. Right? And so the way that they responded to leprosy way back in the day and even in the time of Christ was they would social distance, face masks, and you lived outside of the community. Now, that may challenge you a little bit. It challenged me when I began to wrestle with that because some of these people who acquired leprosy were parents. Some of them were children. Some of them were grandparents. But you, can you imagine a young man who has two little kids and he gets leprosy and now he has to separate from his wife and children. He's removed from the community. He has to live on the outskirts. He's literally living life on the edge. There's no more physical contact for him. Zero physical contact. I may be stretching our AV people. Sorry about that. He's living marginalized on the edge of the community. He has no way to earn a living. He's unemployable. The priest would tell him he's not savable because he can't go to temple anymore. He has to be 
It has to be visibly evident from a distance that he has leprosy. How do you do that? Well, your clothing has to be torn, requirement. You can't have a head covering and a properly dressed Hebrew man back then wore a head covering. You had to be wearing a mask. And if, a, if somebody with leprosy happened to be walking down a path and somebody was coming from the other direction, they had to shout out, unclean, unclean. They had to let them know their condition. Now, I don't know if you've ever put yourself in that guy's flip-flops who's marginalized, who's that. Some of you may feel marginalized at times, like you're living on the fringe of society, accepted by few. They were completely dependent on the kindness of strangers or family members, maybe, that would come and leave them some food at the border of their community and then make a hasty retreat. And then they would come and get it. They ended up living in communal living out in caves, out in clefts of the rock, and that's how they existed. There's a difference between being alive and living. Can you say amen? They were alive, but they weren't really living. So when we get to Matthew chapter 8, when we get to chap chapter 8, verse 2, and we see that Matthew says there's this great crowd of people and then this leper shows up. The reason that's such a big deal is because they had laws that prohibited a leper from interacting not just with one, let alone one person, but there is no way you could be in a crowd of people. The punishment, by the way, was death by stoning. This young man, presumably young man, he's a man, he shows up, and it's a phenomenal thing that happens next. And I want you to kind of understand what happens here. Let's read it here so, we, so we're all on the same page of the hymnal or the Bible. Matthew chapter 8, a leper shows up and worshiped him. Now, yours might say that he kneeled at his feet, something like that. This leper, this, this leper that shows up, makes his way through this crowd of people. I don't know if you're hearing what I'm saying. He's made his way through this multitude of people. He finds Jesus, and he throws himself at the feet of Jesus. And literally, he is risking his life for one shot at Jesus. He's literally putting his life on the line. Because as soon as anyone recognizes he's a leper, they're going to be looking for a stone. Because the punishment is death by stoning where you are. And they would leave that mound of stone there as a testimony and a warning to anybody else who might want to try it. He comes to Jesus, violating all of their laws, and throws himself at the feet of Jesus. I can tell you this. From everything I read in Scripture, being at the foot of Jesus is probably the best place you can be. Amen? He's there at the foot of Jesus, and he makes a statement. Now, the statement is profound in itself. It's not a question. It's a statement. And what he says is, Lord, 
if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, there's something in this statement that is just pregnant with faith. It's, it's filled with faith. In fact, it may be one of the more faith-filled statements you'll find in the entirety of Scripture. Because what he's doing is he's coming to Jesus and he's saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Now, we'll talk about that. We'll unpack that in a minute. But you need to know something about how those first century Jews and, and beyond, further back than that, how they regarded leprosy. Do you remember the story in Numbers chapter 12? That chapter may just be something random that you've never read. It's okay. Maybe you'll remember the story if you don't remember the chapter. Moses was leading the children of Israel, and there was this moment where, where Miriam and Aaron challenged his authority. Do you remember that? They challenged his authority. They said, how come Moses is only the one that can talk to God, can it, you know, and all this stuff? And the Lord does something to, to really chastise them. He does something to Miriam specifically. Remember what he does? Anybody remember? It's okay to talk. I like it when people talk. What's, what, is, what happens to Miriam? She gets leprosy, right? She gets leprosy. Moses intercedes for her, for God to show her some mercy, and God let, get, lets her have leprosy just for a little while, a week or so, and then she's cleansed of her leprosy, okay? And so the, the, in the mindset of these first century Jews, we're dealing with Jesus and this story in particular, they believed that God gave you leprosy. In fact, the Jews referred to leprosy as the finger of God. The finger of God. If God gave you leprosy, it's because you must have done something to deserve it. That's how they regarded leprosy. You must have done something to deserve it. Now, aside from what that says about the character of God, it's just a horrible way of looking at things, okay? Um, but some people still do that today. There's the, back then, they had this prosperity theology that, that's super popular in some circles today. They believed that if you were wealthy, it was because God was putting his favor on you, and if you were poor, it's because God was withholding his favor. It has nothing to do with socioeconomic differences and where you were raised. I didn't, but, but anyway, getting back to our story here, this leper risking everything comes to Jesus, throws himself at his feet, and says, you can make me clean. Now, if they believed God gave you leprosy, they also believe God is the only one who can remove your leprosy. What does this leper believe about Jesus? He believes he's God. He believes that. He comes to Jesus, throws himself at Jesus' feet, and says, you can make me clean. And I want you to notice something here. Because he's not questioning whether Jesus is able to make him clean. Do you see that? He's not questioning God's, Jesus' ability to make him clean. He's not questioning that. What he's questioning is whether Jesus is willing to make him clean. Are you willing? I don't know what path this man went. I don't know what his journey had been to that point. I don't know how he acquired his leprosy. I don't know. We're not told those things. But when he comes to Jesus, 
He's not questioning Jesus' ability, or we could even say God's ability, because that's what he believes about Jesus. He's not questioning God's ability to heal him and make him clean. That's not what he, he's, there's no doubt in his mind that he can do it. What he's questioning is, are you willing? Are you willing to clean a messed up sinner like me? Are you willing? Now you'll see what happens next if you have your Bible there. I'll read it to you if you don't. My Bible says, then Jesus, <laughs> he does something crazy. He puts out his hand and touched him. Your Bible say something like that? Yeah? I need a volunteer. Brian, come up here. That's a voluntold, by the way. <laughs> voluntold. Yeah, so Brian's working for us at camp. Um, say good morning, Brian. Good morning, good morning. Yeah, and, um, and so Brian, I need your help for a minute, okay? Yeah. All right, so um, just in this story, I'm going to be Jesus, right. okay? My wife can tell you I'm not Jesus, <laughs> but just for purposes of this story, I'm going to be Jesus, okay? You're going to be the leper. Are you okay being a leper? Yes. All right, so, so the leper throws himself at Jesus' feet, so, okay. all right, so... Yeah. All right. Now that's good. You're doing good. Yeah. And and the leper has he's risked his entire life. We've 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 recognized that, right? Because there's crowds that are probably already getting stones, right? Jesus is standing there. He's kneeling, groveling, begging Jesus. If you're willing, you could make me clean. And I want you to notice something. He didn't say, if you're willing, you could heal me of leprosy. It's not there. He said, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Because if he's cleaned, he gets his life back. See? If he's cleaned, he gets his family back. He gets a job. He gets to go to temple. He, he's fully restored of everything that he has lost. It's complete restoration. That's what he's asking for. And he's asking Jesus if he's willing. And the Bible says that Jesus does something. What's he say he does? Touches him. As, oh, some of you are shaking your heads. That's not how Jesus... How about this? Do you like that better? That better? Do you know that's not what that word means? You can look it up in your concordance, okay? The word literally means to fasten oneself to, to cling to, to adhere to. That's what Jesus does to this leper. He fastens himself to him. He clings to him. He adheres. You're a good hugger. Yeah. He adheres to him. I don't know when the last time this guy had any kind of physical touch. Huh. I, I don't know when the last time he felt loved, accepted, embraced. But that's what Jesus does in that moment. He fastens himself to him. 
clings to him, adheres to him. And then he tells him something. What's he tell him? I am willing. I am willing. Be clean. And immediately, you sit back down. <laughs> immediately, the leprosy's gone. I thought somebody might say amen. Yeah. The reality here is that God is able. Can you say amen? And he's also willing. And I think so many times, as, even as believers, there's so many times where we think that we've done so much that there's no way that Jesus could help us or that he even would help us. That, that we would even be in the same proximity, as, let alone him wrapping us up in an embrace. Jesus knows the path we've all been on. He knows the journey that we are traveling. And at any point in your life journey, it doesn't matter where you've been, what you did, what you did before you got to church. It doesn't, none of that matters. If you take one step out in faith and you say, Jesus, my life is a hot mess. I don't know which way to go. I don't, I don't know which way to turn. I've messed up things so badly with so many people. I wonder if you're willing to cleanse me. To wrap your arms of grace around me and restore me. I can tell you today that not only is he able, but he is willing. And so this morning, I wonder if you'd all stand up with me. If you need a cleansing this morning, if you need, if you need God to show up in your life again like he used to, if you need God to wrap you up in his arms of grace. I wonder if you just come up to the front here with me so I can pray with you. Simple as that. I don't need to know what you've been up to. I don't need to know your past. God knows it way better than you do even, better, way better than I do. But if you need a fresh embrace and a fresh filling of God's grace this morning, just come up front here with me. I'm going to kneel down. You can stand or kneel, whatever you want to do. I just want to pray for you. Father in heaven, oh, what an amazing God you are. We're so thankful that Jesus came and showed us how incredible you really are. That he would, Father, accept sinners like us and not only acknowledge us, but embrace us, to clean us, to, to help us to be able to have victory in our life where before we've only had defeat. I'm thankful that we serve the God who is able. And I'm especially thankful today that we serve a God who is willing. And so, Father, as we make a step of faith this morning, 
giving you our brokenness. We pray that you would heal us and restore us so that we can, Father, lead that life of victory so that we can experience the joy of salvation and the presence of our God in a way, Father, that we can walk with you unashamed. Thank you, Father, for cleaning us, for restoring us. We praise you for your goodness to us, and we give you thanks for all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.